Welcome back to Intersections, our podcast series in which we're exploring when and where the supernatural spirit world intersected with the world of the Bible. Today we'll explore the events that occurred in the lives of Isaiah, Daniel, and Jonah. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. So far, we've explored almost half of the supernatural events that are recorded in the Bible. Keep in mind that we aren't considering the supernatural events that occurred within the visions that Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and others experienced. We'll save the visions in the Bible for a future podcast series. But first, did you know that Time of Grace has an app? Now, if you want a a change of pace and want to grow in your faith by watching our videos instead of listening to our podcasts, you can do that on our app. You'll also find our videos that take you deep into God's Word, from our daily Grace Talks of video devotions, to Pastor Mike's weekly message series, to Pastor Jeremy's Bible Basics series called Bible Breath, to many more. Just search Time of Grace wherever you get your apps. In our last two episodes, we examined the supernatural events in the lives of two of God's Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Now, perhaps this is a good place to take a little detour and talk about the other prophets in the Old Testament. There were 16 other prophets who have a book of the Old Testament named after them. Four of them served the northern kingdom of Israel, Amos and Hosea, who served along with Elijah and Elisha. Amos and Hosea mainly served during the four-decade-long reign of King Jeroboam II. Another prophet, a contemporary of Amos and Hosea, was Jonah. He was the reluctant prophet whom God called to go to the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Through Jonah's testimony, the city of Nineveh repented and escaped the Lord God's judgment, at least for a little while. More on Jonah in a bit. Because of the northern kingdom of Israel's apostasy and their worship of other gods and their wicked kings, and by the way, every single one of them was wicked, and their lack of concern for the poor and their other social injustices, the Lord allowed the Assyrians to invade Israel. The homeland of Assyria, before they conquered much of the Middle East, would today include the real estate of northern Iraq, southeastern Turkey, northwestern Iran, and northeastern Syria. The ruler of Assyria at that time was Shalmaneser. With his army, he invaded Israel, conquered towns and villages, and laid siege to the capital city of Samaria. The siege of the city lasted for three years. When the city finally fell, Shalmaneser deported the people of Israel into the vast Assyrian Empire. And in their place, 
the king of Assyria brought people from all over the Middle East to live in the land where God's people had once lived. The northern kingdom of Israel would be no more. We also need to talk about two prophets who we don't know much about. At least we can't be sure even when they lived. One was Obadiah. He delivered a message of judgment to the country of Edom, located south of the southern kingdom of Judah. The people of Edom had gleefully rejoiced in the city of Jerusalem being attacked by an enemy. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us when exactly this attack took place. Some scholars believe it was when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem in 586 B.C., Other scholars believe it occurred 300 years earlier, during the reign of King Jehoram. During the reign of Jehoram, the country of Edom had rebelled against the southern kingdom of Judah. And 2 Chronicles chapter 21 records an attack at that time on Jerusalem by the Philistines and Arabians. Based upon what Obadiah wrote, and actually what he didn't write, He didn't write anything about Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed by the Babylonians. Because of that, I favor the earlier time frame, making Obadiah a contemporary of Elijah and Elisha. But I could be wrong. The other prophet without a date to link him to was Joel. There's absolutely nothing in his prophecy that even suggests when he lived. So we'll leave it at that. Some of God's prophets served the southern kingdom of Judah. They were Isaiah, Micah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Jeremiah. A contemporary of these five was also the prophet Nahum. Nahum delivered a message from God to the people of Nineveh. The repentance that Jonah experienced in Nineveh obviously did not last. The Lord God told the people of Nineveh and all of Assyria that they would be destroyed as a nation because of their wickedness. This destruction would come at the hands of the Babylonians. Nineveh fell to the Babylonian army in 612 BC. Assyria would be no more. Isaiah and Micah began serving as God's prophets before the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians. Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Jeremiah served during the decades leading up to the Babylonians invading Judah, conquering Jerusalem, and leading the people of Judah into captivity in Babylon. More on that in a bit. Then there were two prophets who served during the Babylonian captivity in Babylon. They were Ezekiel and Daniel. Then, after the 70 years of captivity were over, three remaining prophets served God's people. They were Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. After Elijah and Elisha served as God's prophets, the number of supernatural events where the Lord God directly stepped into the lives of his people dropped off significantly. However, as our little detour into the lives of the Old Testament prophets reveals, the Lord God has always been active in world events. 
He has always been in charge of the world, and he is the one who directs geopolitical matters. As we just saw with Israel, with Assyria, and with Babylon, the Lord God can raise up nations and he can take down nations. Do you see where I'm going with this? When our anxiety level spikes up because of the crazy things going on in our world, we need to remember that God's got this. He's in control of it all. And because he loves us, we don't have to be afraid. He secured already our eternal life in a perfect heaven. And he did that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Got that? Eternal life. So, what about living in this world? Well, to be honest, we're just passing through. Okay, back to the remaining supernatural events in the Old Testament. Our next two occurred during the life of King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. Six years before Shalmaneser conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, Hezekiah became king in the southern kingdom of Judah. And sometime between Israel being conquered and Hezekiah's 14th year as king, a new Assyrian king ascended to the throne. His name was Sennacherib, and he decided to invade the kingdom of Judah. Sennacherib's first step was to conquer the fortified cities of Judah, many along the border. Hezekiah, in a moment of weak faith because he didn't trust the Lord God to protect his people, he gave Sennacherib tons of silver and gold to stop the invasion. But the precious metals didn't ward off Sennacherib's desire to possess and rule the nation of Judah. Although there were many more details about Sennacherib's plans, let's cut to the chase. Sennacherib's army advanced toward Jerusalem. King Hezekiah prayed for Jerusalem's deliverance. And then the prophet Isaiah gave Hezekiah a lengthy message from the Lord that ended with these words, I, the Lord, will defend this city and save it, for my sake and for the sake of David my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. The Lord God himself showed up to defeat the enemies of his people. Next, the Lord showed up in the personal life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had become seriously ill. Isaiah came to him and told him to put his house in order because he was about to die. Hezekiah immediately turned his face to the wall and prayed that the Lord would grant him longer life. Isaiah left Hezekiah, but even before he got out of the palace, the Lord told him to go back, to go back to Hezekiah and tell him that he had heard his prayer and was going to grant him 15 more years. And in three days, he would be fully recovered. Hezekiah asked the prophet, What will be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? Isaiah answered, This is the Lord's sign to you, that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, 
or shall it go back ten steps? What Hezekiah was, ref- or what Isaiah rather was referring to, was a sundial that Hezekiah's father, King Ahaz, had constructed, likely as part of his astrology worship. Ahaz had constructed a stairway with a vertical pole next to it. At noon each day, the pole would cast the shadow on the top step. As the afternoon progressed, the shadow would move down the staircase. Isaiah asked Hezekiah if he wanted the Lord to move the shadow down the staircase or back up the staircase. Hezekiah must have reasoned that it would be more difficult for the shadow to reverse its normal course. So that's what he chose. And it happened. The Lord God suspended the laws of nature to give Hezekiah a sign. We're not giving any further uh, details, just that this supernatural event occurred in the life of King Hezekiah. As we walk through the Old Testament books, the next supernatural event occurred in the life of Job. Now, the book of Job is not in chronological order in the Bible. Job lived much earlier. Most Bible scholars place Job's life closer to the time of Abraham than to the time of the kings and prophets, before there was a nation of Israel. In the book of Job, the Lord God showed up in a big way to address why Job had suffered the loss of his children, his wealth, and his health. The Lord showed up in a storm to speak to Job. If you want to learn the details about this supernatural conversation between the Lord God and Job, I'd like to suggest that you go to the Time of Grace store at timeofgrace.org and get the book entitled When Life Hurts, written by Pastor Mike. It's a book that addresses the topic of human suffering. During the life and ministry of the prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, the Lord God permitted them, among others, to experience visions. As I said earlier, we're not going to explore those supernatural events in this podcast, but let's take a look at some other supernatural events in the life of Daniel. Recall that Daniel was one of God's prophets during the Babylonian captivity. Daniel, as a young man, was taken by the Babylonians during the reign of Judah's king Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the third to the last king of Judah. During his reign, the Lord God allowed the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, to besiege the city of Jerusalem to carry off gold and silver articles from the temple and take members of the royal family and nobility to Babylon to train them for service in his government. The Lord blessed Daniel, along with his three friends and companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So much so that King Nebuchadnezzar considered the Jewish wise men ten times wiser and smarter than all of the Babylonian magicians and enchanters. One night, in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had a dream that was very troubling, but he couldn't explain what the dream was about. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. He called his astrologers and wise men to that palace 
to tell him what the dream was and what it meant. When they couldn't tell King Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was, let alone what it meant, the king got angry and ordered the execution of all wise men of Babylon. That death sentence included Daniel and his three friends. So Daniel went to the king to ask for some time to interpret the dream. Daniel then went to his three friends, asking them to pray for the Lord's intervention. That night, the Lord revealed to Daniel King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its meaning. So Daniel spoke to the king, giving all credit to the Lord God for it. The dream and its meaning are a fascinating preview of future historical events. Check it out sometime in Daniel chapter 2. Because of the dream and its meaning being revealed, King Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel the ruler over the entire province of Babylon. Daniel used this opportunity to ask that his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be appointed administrators over all of Babylon, which the king did. But because these three were in those positions of authority, it led to resentment among the other leaders which then led to the next supernatural event where the Lord God showed up. One day, King Nebuchadnezzar had a very large statue of gold made, and all of the people in Babylon were to bow down to, uh, in it to worship when the music played. The consequence of not bowing down was death by fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their enemies, saw their chance. The three amigos would not bow down to worship an idol. They never would. They were faithful to the Lord. They told the king that the Lord God had the power to save them, and even if he didn't save them, they would not worship King Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Their response made the king furious, so he had the fiery furnace cranked up so that the fire was seven times hotter. He had the three men bound and dropped into the fiery furnace. It's at this point that the Lord God shows up. Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire and saw four men walking around, not three, untouched by the heat and the flames. The fourth one in the fire was the Lord God himself. Nebuchadnezzar went closer to the fire and told them to come out, and they did. They were unharmed, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Nothing is impossible for the Lord God. Later, Daniel interpreted a second dream of Nebuchadnezzar's. It was a dream that addressed the king's pride and how the Lord God humbled Nebuchadnezzar for a time. It's an interesting series of events found in Daniel chapter 4. The historical account in the book of Daniel moves now to a time when there was a new king, King Belshazzar. Like his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar also had a big problem with pride. One day, Belshazzar hosted a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles. At the banquet, suddenly, fingers of a hand appeared on a wall in the palace and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Belshazzar and all of his guests were terrified. 
The words that appeared were mene, mene, tekel, parzin. But what did those words mean? Nobody knew. Oh, but wait. The queen spoke up and said, you need to have Daniel explain this. He has the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. So the king sent for Daniel. Daniel prefaced his explanation of the handwriting by pointing out the crux of the matter. You, king, did not honor God, who holds in your hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. He went on, Mene means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel means you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Parzin means your kingdom is now divided and given to the Medes and Persians. That night, Belshazzar was assassinated. The Babylonian Empire came to an abrupt end, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. This shift in geopolitical power had, by the way, been predicted in the first dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. There was one more supernatural event in the life of Daniel, apart from the visions that the Lord God allowed him to experience. The new king Darius, like his predecessors, considered Daniel to have the best qualities for being a leader. Darius planned to set up Daniel as the one to oversee the entire kingdom. This caused jealousy among the other administrators and satraps. They tried to find charges that they could bring against Daniel, but they couldn't find any. So they schemed a plan and brought it to King Darius. O king, pass a decree that if anyone in the next thirty days bows down to any man or any god other than you, have him thrown into the lion's den. Long story short, Daniel prayed every day, three times a day. Daniel's enemies witnessed this and brought charges against Daniel to the king. The king, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, You've probably heard that phrase before, haven't you? He had no choice but to carry out the edict, and he did it reluctantly. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, but was spared by the hand of the Lord God. The event of Daniel's life being spared impacted the king greatly. Which brings us to our final Old Testament prophet, the prophet Jonah. In four short chapters, the Lord God showed up to use various aspects of his creation to lead the wicked city of Nineveh, Assyria, to repentance and to chastise an angry prophet. The Lord God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against the wickedness of that city. The book of Jonah doesn't specify what that wickedness was, But history shows us that Assyria, especially in its last 300 years as a world power, was likely the cruelest and ruthless nation that ever to exist. Assyrians were the terrorists of the ancient world. That may have been the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he boarded a ship in the coastal city of Joppa 
to head for Tarshish to flee from the Lord God. Tarshish was a city located on the southern shore of what today is the country of Spain, located just north of the Strait of Gibraltar. In the ancient world, Tarshish was the westernmost end of the civilized world. It was very literally the end of the line. That's how far Jonah was planning to go to get away from going to Nineveh. Well, the Lord God stepped into Jonah's life by causing a violent storm that threatened the ship he was on. Jonah knew he was the cause of the storm, so he told the sailors to throw him into the sea. Drowning, in Jonah's mind, was preferable to going to Nineveh. So the sailors threw Jonah overboard, but Jonah didn't drown. The Lord summoned a giant fish to swallow him, and three days later, to vomit him up on the shore. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. When the Lord called Jonah again to go to the city of Nineveh, this time he went. He preached against the wickedness of the city and told them that in 40 days God was going to destroy them all. And guess what happened? They repented and turned from their evil ways. The Lord God had compassion on them and did not bring about the destruction he had threatened. Well, doggone it, that made Jonah angry. Jonah knew that the Lord was a gracious and compassionate God. So why did he have to come to Nineveh in the first place if the Lord was going to spare them? Jonah even asked the Lord to take his life, claiming that it was better for him to die than to live. Then Jonah went outside the city, made a little shelter for himself, and watched what was going to happen to Nineveh. It seems that maybe the Lord would still destroy the city? Then one night, overnight, the Lord caused the vine to grow that provided shelter from the sun. This made Jonah very happy. But then the Lord provided a worm to chew the vine so that by the next morning, the vine had withered. On top of it, the Lord sent a scorching east wind, and with the sun beating down, Jonah became faint. He repeated his desire. It would be better for me to die than to live. He was angry because of the vine that had withered. The book of Jonah concludes with the Lord God chastising Jonah. He said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. Should I not be concerned about this great city? Jonah, the reluctant prophet, who cared more about himself than those who didn't know the Lord. Intersections We've been exploring in these past seven episodes when and where the supernatural spirit world intersected with the world of the Bible's Old Testament. In our next episode, we'll be moving on to the New Testament, specifically the four biographical sketches of Jesus' life and ministry. If you have any questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. 
And be sure to check out the other Time of Grace podcasts and videos on our app. Thanks for listening, and God bless.